0: podcast platforms be sure to give me a follow on Facebook Instagram and TikTok as well at Matt Stocks DJ that way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates my DJ performances and of course who's coming up on the show as well but without further ado let's crack on with the show shall we here we go hiring for your
1: small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place
0: we should set the scene. We're in Milton Keynes. It is the last night of CJ Ramon's tour. Uh, probably your biggest UK, definitely solo tour to date, right?
1: Correct. That's correct.
0: And we are in a van and we're waiting for the rest of your band. They've gone to get dinner and yeah. we're just going to hang out here and have a little chat. So thanks very right. much for giving up your time, dude.
1: Yeah, uh, no problem. I, uh, I, don't make it, uh, I don't make it over to the UK as often as I should. So when I'm here, I try to make a count.
0: Love it. Well, let's take it back to the start, if that's right with you. What I like to do with these is sort of do like a full life career overview. Cool. Uh, you were born in 65 in Queens. Is that correct? That's correct. I wonder if you could set the scene and tell me about your childhood in that area at that specific time in history and your uh, earliest memories.
1: Um, my, uh, my like said, I was born in Queens. My dad uh, worked at his gas station. My mom um, uh, was just a stay-at-home mom very blue collar we lived uh in a neighborhood called fresh meadows it was it's a apartment building set right on a major highway um but still it was a a a pretty neat place we lived there till i was probably about two so i don't have a lot of memories of it but i've seen all the pictures and everything um but basically uh, when i was a kid that's pretty much how i grew up when i was real small we uh we moved a lot we moved pretty often um, it was, uh, kind of, you know, kind of made it tough being a kid and, and moving a lot. But, um, like I said, very blue collar, you know, we lived mostly in, in apartments until, uh, was we it moved a large out.
0: family? Did you have brothers and sisters?
1: Um, I, I have three sisters all younger.
0: Wow. Um, so you a big bro to three younger yeah, sisters. That's yeah. a responsibility, right? Yeah.
1: And I got blamed for all the bad <laughs> habits, of course. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, we, um, when we when we moved out to Long Island, um, that's pretty much where we set down our roots. And uh, so I really consider myself more being from Long Island than actually from Queens. Born in Queens, but grew up on Long Island.
0: And the city itself, New York, in yeah. the early 70s, well, right through the 70s, really. But right. it was a very different place to the New York of today, of course. I mean, you sort of referenced that in what we're going to do on your first album, what we're yep. going to do now. Uh, what are your early memories of being a teenager and perhaps... Going out and discovering music, girls, trouble, culture.
1: Right. Um, well, going back to when I was real small, I remember New York City when it was really bad, when it was on its knees. Um, in the early 70s, after, uh, after uh, uh, President Nixon was impeached and President Ford came in, uh, New York City was completely broke, on its knees, falling apart. Uh, they had stopped picking up garbage. It was really bad. And there's a famous headline from the New York Post where it says, um, um, "Gerald, Fo- President Ford to New York City, go to hell. That was literally what he had said. Um,
0: it felt like you'd been left behind, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. New York City had was just a, a wasteland. It, it Parts of New York really looked like... Um, Looked like a war zone. Uh, a lot of buildings had fallen, uh, you know, had been vacated and were falling down. A lot of them had been knocked down, burned down, uh, and that's kind of my my earliest memories of New York City. But there was still something cool about it, something very, just very gritty about it that I I was always attracted to. Um, later on in my uh, in my mid mid-teens, I started taking, uh, the train into Manhattan to see some shows. Um, I was lucky enough to, to have seen some of the matinee shows at CBGB's going back to the real early days of hardcore. Um,
0: who are we talking? Who did you say?
1: Um, agnostic, I saw agnostic front there. I saw the Cro-Mags, um, Race Murphy's Law. Yeah. I saw, I really, and at the time that was just our scene. It wasn't, it was like, we never thought of it. I was like a, a world stage kind of scene it was just pretty much kids you know street kids
0: making music and um which is obviously a very different scene to the original wave of television new york dolls blondie etc right. which is a lot more i guess art school right influenced exactly this was a lot more down and dirty and
1: exactly and in reality um the heart new york hardcore scene after that initial punk scene they really are the only two um successful long-term scenes that ever took place in new york uh, nothing that that happened in the 90s or or the 2000s other than hardcore um ever caught on
0: well there was the strokes wasn't there yeah that that kind of like garage rock revival and i
1: i always one band don't make a scene (laughs) they were they were a good band but there wasn't much that came up around them you know we um we also had sonic youth yeah. Um, you know, who, who were, um, you know, a throwback to that art school um, uh, kind of influenced uh, scene. But realistically, the hardcore scene and that original punk scene, that's really the, the, the two biggest things that happened in New York. And given that they're both kind of born in the 70s to the very early 80s, there's a whole lot of years in between there where people would come to New York City and pay $25 to see a a West Coast band but they wouldn't pay $10 to see a local band and that's pretty much what what killed the local scene in New York is it just stopped supporting itself but the uh the 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 other thing about it too is one thing I really loved about the New York scene was it was the art scene and the music scene were mutually supportive those early days if you look at the pictures of who was sitting there watching the ramones or watching blondie or watching television or or the talking heads it was all the, the some of the the greatest artists to come out of new york were sitting right uh, yeah, exactly yeah. sitting there in the audience it was almost as if they all recognized they were giving birth to something they were all mutually giving birth to something that was going to be historic Uh, and I think the 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 creative influence the back and forth from those two scenes really created something unique Um, very similar to what happened in London with um, with uh, Malcolm McLaren and and the fashion scene kind of really creating the music scene Um, it being driven by by that Um, you know I'm really lucky I really am it's that I, that I was able to at least catch the tail end of that as a kid and, and kind of still see some of the, 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 the greats even just hanging around in New York City. But um, it, it really made for um, uh, uh, a, a lot of great memories, a lot of really good memories. Um, and then, of course, later on to, to actually become part of, of one of the bands responsible for the kicking it off it's just icing on the cake, but um, you know, really unique scene in New York at that time. Really unique.
0: I watched a movie last night called "Who the Fuck Is That Guy?" Have All you right. seen it? It's about that promoter who later went on to be an A and R guy, at Geffen uh, Michael Alago. Oh, oh, is it might. his name? Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> a, I, I've been friends with Mike for a long, long time. He is what a figure. Oh my! And, and you know, it's funny. He's like not. He's not, he's very well known within the business, but outside the business, not that well known. And he founded everybody from Metallica to White Zombie and... <laughs> uh, and then that, worked with
0: Nina Simone and incredible. He
1: has some unbelievable track record. But that's, you know, besides that, he's a really, he's a really good human being. He's a good, he's a really good guy. And, uh, and uh, I'm lucky enough to have, you know, got to be friends with him through Arturo Vega um, who I, you know, I was close with while, uh, uh, while I was with the Ramones. So, uh, like I said, you know, to be, to have been, to have grown up going to the shows and seeing all that, and then to meet all the people behind it and the creators, you know, from, from the Steins to, to uh, Danny Fields, to, you know, really, I've met some unbelievably legendary personalities who really created and 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 um um helped to get those bands and those artists to, to where they got to.
0: It was like a community, wasn't it, in the truest sense of the word. And as you say, it wasn't just the musicians that were were pushing it forward. There was yep. these writers and photographers and yep. even like the managers. They were in it. They weren't like the business. They yep. weren't the industry. They were down yep. and part of it as well and everybody Seymour was.
1: Stein, Linda Stein <clears throat> Unbelievably huge in the industry, huge. Um, uh, Danny Fields, who who managed the Ramones early on, managed the Doors, managed you know Iggy and the Stooges. Like these people were like really unbelievable, and and not just big acts, but cutting edge acts. They recognized the talent coming up that nobody else was recognizing, that nobody else saw. A lot of the established people they were seeing the new wave. They were bringing up the next. the next classic bands
0: so you were were you a marine before you were in the Ramones yeah so I mean tell me about that experience how long were you in the Corps for
1: I was in for two years right um was it
0: a conscious decision
1: yeah 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 so the the town we lived in on Long Island uh, that we eventually moved to Deer Park um, the next town over there was a uh, an aircraft factory where everyone worked at right everybody my dad worked there Um, I started working there almost directly out of high school um, uh, then while Ronald Reagan was in office, um, uh, there was a, uh, a strike of, um, the air traffic controllers and, and Ronald Reagan just g- g- gave, the companies permission to just fire them and hire new people, um, which kind right. of weakened unions. And with that, um, all the companies online, on Long Island. Long Island's entire economy was aerospace, aerospace and fishing, pretty much. Either you worked on fishing boats and clamming boats, or you worked for uh, the aerospace industry or one of the machine shops that supported the aerospace industry. Um, they, uh, the all the, the these companies that were were it was all union workers. It were good jobs, good paying jobs for for um, blue collar people. All those factories shut down. All, the, all those companies picked up and moved down south, right to work states where you know there were no unions. And um, so I lost, I lost my job. Um,
0: Total devastation of yeah, well, the whole community I, I, as well, right?
1: I was playing in a band, making decent money back then. Long Island was booming. You could play in a club, you could make, you could make a living playing in clubs. And I was making. A, well, Twisted a,
0: a, Sister did that for many exactly, many years, yep, didn't they? Yeah. Yep.
1: Um, I, w- I was making a good amount of money just playing weekends with the band, and then what I made at my everyday job, I was making more money than some of my friends' dads. So I was actually doing okay. When the factory closed down, there were, you know, all, when they all closed down, the jobs on Long Island just dried up, and we went into a severe depression on Long Island. It got, it was really bad. At one point, the main street uh, in my town. Just about every storefront was closed down, um, and I was. I woke up one morning. I was 21 years old. I was working as a landscaper, and I, I just said to myself, "I'm this. I am not going to live and die in my hometown. There's no way." So I got, uh, I got myself up. I my my dad's family is a military family. My dad always brother served, so it was a pretty easy decision. I went down. I enlisted. I didn't tell my mom and dad for a little while, and then um, I finally let them know. I said, uh, you know, when I got the date that I was going to leave for boot camp, I let them know uh, that I had enlisted, and my dad was, he was kind of happy, but at the same time, I think he was a little bit worried. There wasn't anything much going on in the world, but I had never really lived away from my family. I, you know, I, I, I lived at home still. And um, I think my dad was a bit worried. My mom was totally against it because my dad, while he was in the Navy, uh, my mom got pregnant and um, and uh, would have been an older sister, uh, the baby died. And um, my dad actually uh, went UA. He kind of deserted from the Navy and uh, to be at home with my mom yeah. um, and to bury the baby and everything. And uh, he got in a lot of trouble from it. My mom always just kind of had a bad taste in her mouth about the military from that. But um, I went in. I went into boot camp. Went to Riverview Training School. Um, and, of course, while I was in, I got the audition. I The Marine Corps, I went into the Marine Corps because I was really undisciplined. I really, you know, I, was, I had been playing in bands. I was into drugs. I drank a lot. And I like I said, I just woke up and realized I was not going anywhere good doing what I was doing,
0: and. Uh, that was kind of omnipresent, right, within that time space and that scene. Yeah. it was the music, yeah. the drink, and the drugs. Yep. It was all one absolutely. Package, right? uh,
1: just about everybody I knew, um, uh, did heroin, cocaine, hallucinogen, smoke weed. You know, I mean, all the whole gamut, everything. It was all available we didn't we did not live in a rich area out the area that I lived in was very um middle class but lower middle class but we bordered a, um a very rich area where all the big drugs all the high-end drugs came out of the heroin the cocaine that type of stuff um but yeah I just realized I, I could tell I was not gonna be I'm not gonna go anywhere doing what I was doing and um and it was an easy decision. And, uh, you know, given everything that happened, of course, later on, once I was in the band and, and I, I realized how strict Johnny ran things and the fact that Johnny had been in in uh, in um uh, military school, I realized it was probably the best thing I ever did going to the military because
0: You had that pre-training. Yeah.
1: I And it really gave me the discipline to not get caught up in in too much partying on the road, because Dee Dee D had really, and and Joey, they had really been, it had been Johnny, difficult for Johnny to keep the band motivated and keep them going, because they were, and of course Marky too, they were all so involved in drugs and alcohol, and Johnny was the only person really keeping it all together. So in hindsight, had I not been in the Marine Corps, chances are, um, I probably would have not lasted very long in, in the ramones and maybe n- would have never gotten even to the audition so uh so looking back um it, even though i was in the military for a short time and i did not fulfill my contract and and i i was a deserter and did go to jail because of it you did um, how long for um it, I, it was that's what I, that's actually where it was when i found out i got the audition for the ramones you're in jail because i was auditioning while I was still in the Marine Corps, yeah, but I had, I had um, called up to turn myself in, um, and uh, I found Are you out, sort
0: of on the run until they get you if you yeah, don't
1: right, and they don't come looking for you, but it's kind of, uh, kind of like we call it a bench warrant, where um, if you get picked up for something else, Anything if you get else, pulled over for a ticket, yeah, yeah. if you get caught spitting on the street, whatever, and they find out, then they they pick you up. But I was. Um, I really, I really loved being in the Marine Corps and I really, I, I you know, I didn't want it to end, I didn't want it to, to end badly, but of course it did, um, but it was, uh, um, yeah, while I was in, I was in jail, my my third night in jail that I, um, the guard on duty came in and said, hey, Ward, you got a phone call, and I was like, oh, it's my mother, she's gonna be crying her eyes out. I picked up the phone and uh, Chris, I said, yeah, it's Johnny Ramon. And I was like, I was like, Johnny, listen, I'm really sorry. I should have told you what was going on. I said, but it was, a, that was a tough situation to be in. I, I wanted to say something, but I really wanted to see how far it would go. And he said, well, what did they say? And I said, I'm going to be here probably, you know, two weeks to a month. And, uh, and um, then I'm they're going to, they're going to discharge me. And he said, all right, well, your time and when you get out you got a job wow and i was stunned <laughs> that
0: how I, many people do you think have had the call in prison to tell them they're in their childhood favorite I, i'm sure <laughs> it's got to be a slim whole lot pickings of, right <laughs> of,
1: i mean there's you know you i you, i always hear like all these great stories about all these like famous black Blues musicians from back in the day who were in and out of jail and yeah. everything, and and how unrecognized their talent was back then, and and how much you know they 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 went through because they were black. You know how many times they, and I'm always like, oh my, that must have been so frustrating for them to to know how talented how talented they are, and know that they should be like out on told. But it was it was really, it was really really interesting. I mean, I went from the lowest point in my life to the highest point in my life in a span of about 7 weeks, 8 weeks, I got I sp- I spent 2 weeks or 3 weeks in jail. I got out. Um, How was
0: that first of all? Was that like rough? Was it tough?
1: Um no, no, because no. I I was just in with other marines, right, you know, okay. was, so we were all in, in with a bad the real spot. There was, was still in the military, there's camaraderie and there's, you know, there's not but we were all in a bad spot. So mm-hmm. we all we did was work out and go on and clean up parking lots and do whatever work they gave us
0: but you're not having to watch you back in the shower and no,
1: no 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 nothing like that nothing like that um but um i uh you know my i went from jail li- literally to the highest point of my life doing my first show at the ramones in a seven week time period
0: was that in leicester in the in uk Lester, England. yep yeah, 1989
1: yeah. september 30th leicester. did you
0: play leicester on this tour no we no. didn't no no we got close. you got a special place in your heart for that yeah, absolutely, reason?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's a uh it's it's kind of funny because it was my introduction to what being in the Ramones was going to be like and it was really a trial by fire. Yeah. I had I only had 5 weeks to learn 40 45 songs. I had to learn all the songs in 5 weeks. Um I had 2 days off between when I got out of jail and when we started rehearsing. So it was really a, a huge change in lifestyle so uh, after going through all of that and, and then we fly t- into Leicester and I'm sure tr- I mean we fly into uh we fly into London we make our way over to Leicester and I'm trying to go over in my head you know everything that I've learned and everything I'm supposed to do and and because I'm right out of the out of the out of the Marine Corps, I'm very mission-oriented. So give me a job, and I'm going to do it. And that's what I went into it with. And of course, when the lights came on and and everything happened, um, you know, we started playing. Immediately, I was getting spit on. I was getting pummeled with coins and shoes and bottles, like just about anything you can imagine. And I I realized, you know, I was like, "This is going to be a trial by fire." But this is it's exactly how. When I heard that Dee Dee quit. I turned to my friend who was driving, and I said, "I'll never go to another Ramones show. It ain't the Ramones without Didi." Like, and my mind immediately flashed back to that, and I, I, I understood. I realized, like, these kids want Didi. They want Didi. That's who they want. And, and I totally understood it and related to it. But I knew if I stood up on stage and just let them pummel me and didn't do something about it, or stay towards the back, I was it was just going to make it worse. So I went right out to the front of the stage and fuck you and like really like let them have it back and made all kinds of nasty comments about the queen and really gave it back to them <laughs> and um and that's what i that I was bet the
0: british crowd responded really well to that yeah of yeah. course
1: uh and and but that's what i went through night after night every city i went to for the first time um
0: how long did that I went,
1: went on for a long time. Yeah, that went on, because we went to new territories every year. We were going to places I hadn't been before. Spain was another bad one. Spain, they hated my guts. Um, but the uh you know, the, the beautiful thing was for the most part, by the end of the night, in the beginning of the night, they were chanting Didi. By the end of the night, they were chanting CJ. And that was that really um that really made me feel like they, they got it. They were understanding it. I wasn't there to take Dee Dee's place or try to be Dee Dee. I was a fan who made it into the band. And it gave me a whole different type of camaraderie with the fans that I, that I don't think Johnny and Joey and Dee Dee and Tommy and Marky and Richie had.
0: Yeah, because you know I mean? you're one of them.
1: But I was a fan that yeah. made it into the band. The other thing was, after the shows were over, the first thing I did was I, I, I would go out and I try to find some local kids some fans and I'd be like just take me out to the pub that you go to wherever you usually go and that's and that's what I did everywhere I went and I ended up making so many friends that even now on this trip come out come out to see me and we go out and we have a couple just like we did when they were 17 18 years old and I was 22 23 years old it's um but it was you know it was a it was tough to get you know get to that point but when 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 everything is said and done, I think I, I hold I hold such a completely different space in the in the Ramones legacy than any of the rest of the guys. And I'm not saying it's a better space or it's a more meaningful space or anything, but I really do have my own spot in the Ramones legacy that I am one hundred percent proud of. Not in the Hall of Fame doesn't mean anything to me. The Johnny, Joey, Dee Dee, Tommy ed stasium uh danny fields arturo vega and the fans those are the people who who told me what my contribution was you know what what i brought to the band. so rock and roll hall of fame i was happy the ramones made it in because they deserve to be in the original lineup absolutely deserves to be in there they did so much for rock and roll but to me the rock and roll hall of fame ain't really even a rock and roll hall of fame it's a music hall of fame
0: it is yeah they should call it
1: the music hall of fame but i and people like oh you you're saying that because you you know you don't you you don't want and i promise you i swear it, it 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 really meant nothing to me that that i was not going in the ramones are going in that's all that matters to me that's that was always you know um from my point of view that was always my job was to try to get the Ramones the the recognition and the credit that they deserved. And that's what that was my motivation when I was in the band. That's how I thought of everything. That's why I never got caught up in the getting compared to Didi or or um you know or 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 trying to like own a part of the legacy that wasn't mine to own. I really just tried to create my own space in there and give the Ramones what they had that's why I I used to go so crazy on stage was because I remember watching the the Ramones on Don Kirshen's rock concert I remember seeing them when they were still really really good live and I watched them over the years just like really really start to like struggle through the live set and in fact the last set that I saw Didi had, had gotten Fat and he just was strumming all the strings open. They t- turned him off at the board. It was like they were really a, a shadow of what yeah. they were. And so when I got into the band, I was like, I, ha- I have to make them exciting again. I have to, I have to get on stage and really bring it like they used to bring it. And of course, later on, it was unbelievable to hear johnny and joey say in, in interviews that you know when i got into the band it kind of pushed them to do a little bit more kind of pushed them to be a little more exciting on stage which is awesome you know it was uh exactly um well i you know i was hoping that i'd be able to get you know get the fans motivated but to hear that they even got motivated to 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 get the fans more motivated that was a big compliment big compliment
0: When you first joined the group, what was your initial impressions of the individual characters of Joey, of Johnny, and of Marky? And how did you sort of slot into the group dynamic? Because it must have been quite an overwhelming experience actually making that first record, Mondo, with them.
1: Yeah, it, w- it was...
0: Because you you sing on a few of my favorite songs on the album as well. I was listening to it earlier. Which one do you sing on, which is fucking wicked?
1: Main Man or...
0: Main Strange Man, Andor? Main Man, yeah.
1: Yeah, that song... Uh... It's it's funny. When when I first got into the band, I thought I was joining a gang. I always saw the Ramones as a gang. Like I literally thought they were like, you know they were like, you know, still hanging around together and and, and all that. why so I had no clue. I was very I, I've never been like the type of fan where I wanna know what the band does when they're off stage or, you know, I yeah, wanna yeah. know what their favorite food is. I just never was that shit, kind right? of fan. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I'm a music, music fan. Yeah. So um so when I got there in the beginning I mean, I noticed it was quiet in the van and I, you know, I noticed it was, you know, not a whole lot of communication going on and whatnot. But to me, I was like, hey, these guys been been together a long time. Um, But I didn't understand the situation between Johnny and Joey until um, I went to Johnny's house apartment for dinner to have dinner with him and Linda one night. And, uh, um, you know, it was the first time, like I was like in Johnny's apartment and it was, I was like, you know, wow, this is so cool. And, uh, and then, uh, we had a little bit of time off and when we used to leave to tour in the States, um, I would have to take the train into Manhattan and then, um, take the subway down to Joey's house. And that's where we all met. We met at Joey's apartment. Monty would be parked out front with the van. We'd all get there and. Um, and we leave from there. And, um, after that little break where I had gone to Johnny's house and met Linda for the first time, um, we got, I, I got to Joey's apartment. I got into the van and, and I was saying hello to everybody. And I, and I said to Johnny, um, how's Linda doing? And all of a sudden everything got quiet and I was like, something's up so we got to um we drove to the first show and when we got there monty pulled me out to the hallway pulled me out of dressing room out to the hallway and he said cj you really have no idea about anything with johnny and, and joey and linda i was like no i don't have any idea and he was like linda was joey's girlfriend and johnny kind of stole her away or they fell in love and and i was like oh I was like, okay, I get it. I said, I understand. So um, it it explained a lot, and I realized at that point there was going to be, it was going to be like a tightrope walk with being friends with both of them. Because Joey and I really, Johnny kind of took right away, me and Johnny got to be like, you know, Johnny was, T- Showing me the ropes and telling me what was expected. So I'm, I'm more communicated with Johnny <clears throat> Joey eventually I actually became really good friends with and used to go to shows with and and I stay at his apartment and We would just hang out and listen to music together like Joey and I really became friends Like what you would think of as a friend Johnny was always my mentor He was always my mentor more like a father figure um uh,
0: is that because he had more of a stern personality that he perhaps wasn't as emotionally open? Yeah, yeah, a-
1: absolutely, absolutely. And you know, Johnny really gets kind of a, um, an unfair shake in 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 general um, for being a uh, for being a bit of a prick. But the fact of the matter is is this, and I'm not saying that he wasn't. You know, it's, his he was kind of tough personality wise, and he was very opinionated, but. If you think of it, you know, At once Tommy is gone, Tommy was Tommy's the creator, right? Tommy's the creator of the Ramones. He created everything. The look, the sound, told everybody what? Instruments they were going to play. He was the manager. He he managed their career for, for a while. I mean, he really is the guy. Once Tommy leaves, it's like the lunatics are in charge of the si- asylum, you know? You got Joey, who's mentally unstable you got at that point you got marky who's a, a really bad alcoholic you got dd who's a full-blown drug addict and johnny johnny now becomes the you know becomes the guy and he's got to keep these three you know really tough characters to to keep in line he's got to make it all happen it's all on him He's got to handle all the business stuff. He's got to handle all the day-to-day stuff. It's really all on him. That's kind of partially why Johnny was the way he was, you know? So, you know, being that I had just come out of the Marine Corps and I was used to being talked to, you know, and told directly. Barked
0: orders at, yeah.
1: I had no problem with it. I didn't think he was a prick. I just thought he was very direct. You know, I was like, all right, that's cool. But, um... Once I, once I, I, Monty clued me in on the thing with Linda, I understood, like, okay, this is going to be a tightrope walk. I'm going to have to, like, really work to maintain relationships with both these guys. But I thought, in the meantime, maybe if I can be that in-between guy, maybe I can help the band kind of, you know, kind of get a little bit more motivated more together get things done a little bit in a in a in a quicker way and stuff and of course it was you know kind of wishful thinking but in in a lot of ways i think i really did help bridge um some of the stuff between johnny and joey because they both they they could could communicate through me they literally could communicate through me if Johnny said something that made sense to me, I would explain it to a way to Joey in a way that I knew Joey would understand it or at least be accepting of it, and vice versa. So there were times when I really played a, an important role in that sense in that uh, communication between those two guys. Crazy, they they never made up. They went, they took it to the grave. But yeah, um, it, w- it was definitely it was definitely an uncomfortable situation but the way you know people I think now make too big of a deal of it while it it had a lot to do with um the the uh energy and the Ramones that friction really created something like Lennon and McCartney there was always friction there you know what I mean they were both always struggling to be the guy I guess um but Johnny and Joey had that same thing and Even though it was there, you could feel it. It, it's like living in a house where your parents don't get along.
0: Yeah, it's just good, part of it. Exactly like that. It's yeah. just
1: part of it. You know what I mean? That wasn't the overwhelming thing of everything that we did. It, it wasn't you know painful to ride in the van. I, for the most part, when we got into the van, I put on my headphones and listened to my Walkman and read books.
0: Just long quiet drives. Yep, yeah. that was it.
1: And and realistically, when you spend that much time with people, you don't necessarily want to hear their voice all day long either.
0: You would know? would Johnny? aggravate joey with his politics to the extent that it's been sort of said that he did
1: um politics didn't come up a whole bunch but when they did they were always always had opposing views and i heard i've i heard them witnessed them have a little back and forth on politics sometimes and both were constructive in what they said you know what i mean that you know johnny would say somebody else in the room would be talking and johnny would say something and joey would counter and then you know, Mark, who really was responsible for making touring bearable because he, his sense of humor is just, he has he has a great sense of humor. He really is like a, he's a, a, a great guy to hang around. I mean, you you hang around with Mark, you're laughing. You're having a good time. Um... Uh, you know, they would go at it and they'd be going at it and, and Mark would say to Johnny, yeah, all right, Nixon, or something like that, you know, <laughs> and immediately everybody would get a giggle and, and it would kind of diffuse everything. Cut
0: through it, yeah. Yep.
1: So, it worked. It all worked. Even with the stealing girlfriends and opposite politics and all that stuff, it worked. We had good times. My experience in the Ramones was nothing but fun. Was there tough times? Yeah. I, You know, I've almost gotten to. Uh, Almost got into a fist fight with Johnny once. You know what I mean? There were were some times like that, but it's just like being in a family. You're going to have good times, you're going to have bad times. That's just how it is. And no matter how cool your job is, after 22 years, it's going to suck. It's going to be hard. It's going to even, even when you have thousands of people admiring you and coming to, to see you do your thing, it was, they really struggled at the end to keep it going. Joe, uh, Joey especially you know Joey was diagnosed in 94 he you know still went two more years and and did it strictly because he knew that the Ramones were important and I'm not saying that they weren't doing it for money they're obviously doing it for the money too but they cared about the fans they knew the Ramones were important and they did it till they couldn't do it anymore
0: It was an interesting period as well because around 93 94 obviously punk blows up and it becomes this huge mainstream. Yeah. You know, Green Day, Offspring, yep. and I guess as the forefathers of that movement, it was important perhaps yep. to update that legacy and yep. sort of hold their own, as it were, against yep. the new breed.
1: You know, that, there's a, a really a part of the Ramones legacy that bothers me really badly that I was there for, and I it, it was one of the few times. I was really disappointed in Johnny. I I was just really dis- I was disappointed in Johnny for the decision and Joey for not standing up um, to Johnny and and doing the right thing. We had our record contract was up. Um, in I want to say it was probably it was probably the the first radioactive record. Is ninety? The last one is, uh, is last one on Sire is um
0: eighty nine, right? Brain Drain
1: is Brain Drain, right? So so our record deal was up from that point on. I think we all... It, oh wait is is um
0: Mondo is Bizarro not, is Mondo is ninety two, right? Yeah. Is
1: Mondo Bizarro on Sire or is it on? No, our, that was the first radio. That was the first radio. So yet. our our record deal was up with Sire was up. Grant Gurwitz, who had was having huge success with his label, was hardcore shopping the Ramones to sign to his label. And Epitaph had an unbelievable lineup of bands at the time. Um he flew into Amsterdam to come see us play and I watched him pitch to Joey and Johnny nearly beg um them to come on board at Epitaph so Johnny brought it up and said yeah you know we have an offer from Epitaph and this and that and I was like that's great I was like that's great. We're going to be on a on a label. I said that entire label will be working for you. There's no doubt about it. He wants to give you the success that you have not had. I said that guy loves the Ramones. I know he does. He's going to do everything in his power to make it happen. Johnny said, "Well, we decided to go with Gary Curfer's label. Gary Curfer is getting his own label." Um I think it was through Sire, I think he actually got the deal through Sire, um, Radioactive Records and my head almost exploded. I was like, Chani, are you kidding me? First off, I know you're a good businessman, the conflict of interest in having your, being on your manager's record label is overwhelmingly just outside of anything logical when it comes to business. I said, but besides that, you've given that guy some of the greatest rock and roll ever recorded, and he couldn't bring it home for you. You've given him at that point. It was
0: well. That's the common misconception, isn't it? Is right in their day, they were never recognized in no. terms of album sales, were they? No, ever. No,
1: and and that's and 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 I I just could not understand it. I was like John, we this is your opportunity to have the commercial success you never had to to, to to be respected like you never have to really finish out your career at the level that your entire career should have been at after all these years don't you want that and um and he said when you have as many years in the business that I have that I have then you can tell me what to do and that's a hard thing to argue with um, so we did go to Radioactive Records and and, um, and put out, you know, probably what I consider to be a comeback record for the Ramones, Mono Bizarro. And it sold the same 30,000, 40,000 copies that they usually did. MTV never picked anything up. Nobody was really interested. We had a bit of press interest there for a little while. And it just went right back to the same old thing. Um, I believe also at the time our booking agency contract was up. And Stormy Shepherd from uh, Leave Home Booking, who was handling everyone at the time, um, also was, the name of her booking agency is Leave Home, um, also was, was shopping the Ramones too. And instead they chose to, they elected to work with the, same people that they had been working for for all those years, giving them some of the greatest rock and roll ever recorded, and they couldn't bring it home from. And it made no sense to me, and I was unbelievably disappointed in Johnny and and Joey for not for not trying to fight to 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 make that move. Of course, what I found out years later was that, you know. The decision had had already been made on when the Ramones were going to retire. Um, There were all kinds of backdoor deals where Johnny was going to make Johnny and Joey were going to make a lot of cash. Gary was going to get big cash advances for the records. They would spend a little bit of money making them, and then those guys would split the cash. Um, uh, And 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 basically, what they decided was they were just going to sell out the end of their career for a couple of hundred thousand dollars to get to a um, amount of money that they had wanted to save before they retired. Um, and that was a really...
0: What an anticlimax, right? Yeah,
1: what an unbelievably hard pill to swallow for me. But for them, it just made sense. They had already learned and they had already been, prom- been promised so much by so many people in the record industry that they no longer had any faith in anybody. They really had completely lost their faith, you know, and, and you could see it in their records. They totally turn their back on pop or, or commercial music, and they just strictly go for punk and hardcore. They, they no longer um, um, try to do any big TV shows or anything like that. They, Johnny realizes we have to get in the van and play shows and sell t-shirts, and that's our business model. DIY, no more, no more worrying about the the record companies or anybody coming to our 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 aid. We're gonna get in the van and go. And um, which
0: and they, in many ways was quite not revolutionary, but you right. know he had a lot of foresight at that time because not many other bands realised. That's right. Because I guess they had the big advances that record labels were throwing at them, so they didn't need to worry about that side. There's
1: so many things about the Ramones that went unrecognized and even now go unrecognized. So many things that are common to 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 most bands now that the ramones pioneered engineered were the first ones to do it they there's so much of it that they were the first ones to do it um that they'll probably never get credit for nobody will you know will will ever recognize it but everybody will be doing it (laughs) but there's only you know, there's only so much and, you know, so much that a band can be talked about and they can only be respected and loved and thought of as the great ones for so long. And eventually their legacy will, you know, kind of become like Elvis's where there'll always be people loving the music, but what really took place and what really happened will kind of be forgotten. But there's, there's some parts of it that, that have really only come to light um in the past few years that I hope get a little bit more life like the the fact that Tommy really was the guy. Yeah. Tommy is the man. Um uh Johnny and Did you jo-
0: get to know him through your time in the band oh, yeah. or was his yeah, involvement yeah, I did. I got to by that point.
1: I and in fact I had a really unbelievably great conversation with Tommy the the first time I ever met him um uh I had I had early when I, you know, back in the day, I had listened to the Ramones for a while, I listened to all the records, and and I, I started to look for where they had gone off course, because by the time they put out Subterranean Jungle, I was like, oh my lord!
0: Is that the album with Richie on it?
1: Uh, that's actually the one with the picture of Marky in the window. It's the Subway Car. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was um,
0: I know the album you mean. It though, was
1: yeah. a very um uninspired record. Yeah. Still some great songs. Moments of greatness. Always moments of greatness. Dee Dee's songwriting, Joey's songwriting, even with the, you know, the production, and everything else, still shine through. But I started to look back at the Ramon's career at at what made them great in, in the time periods that were really great. And going back from there, I noticed Too Tough to Die is a great record. So what's you know special about Too Tough to Die Ed Stasium and Tommy are on it. They're back in the in the production seat. You go backwards, you know, go backwards from there, and the next truly great record, side for side, song for song, Road to Ruin. Well, what's great about that? Tommy and Ed, Tommy and Ed, Tommy and Ed, Tommy and Ed, and that's when I realized, like, holy cow, this is, you know, that Tommy and Ed really are are the guys they really are the guys it's almost like it's almost like the ramones are a boys band <laughs> a boy band i mean yeah, yeah yeah um and and you could almost say that except that dd's Dee one of the greatest rock and roll songwriters of all time in my opinion mm-hmm.
0: well, John- even your first album with the band mondo that song that he wrote for that record poison yeah. heart Is one of my all-time favorite Unbelievable song,
1: song. and on the last record, "Born to Die in Berlin," those two songs—that is poetry. The the lyrics are just unbelievably poetic, and the music is just so classic Dee. Dee. But you know, but what makes him not a boy band is the fact that his songwriting is, is so good. Joey is not by no means the handsome boy band guy, and Johnny's guitar playing is just, nobody Nobody did that before Johnny, nobody had that sound nobody played like that
0: that buzzsaw, fast, yep. Yep. aggressive So tight
1: once I, I learned that I, I was waiting for the opportunity to someday meet Tommy and tell him, I know I know the secret so that, so I, it was at CBGB's, there was a, a party at CBGB's I was meeting Tommy and um, and I said to him, you know, Tommy, I just wanted to see, wanted you to know. Uh, there are people who know who you who you are in the band. They know they know what you did. And he was like, "What are you talking about?" And I was like, I said, I I looked at the Ramones' career going backwards. I deconstructed their career going backwards, and all the bright spots you and Ed Stasium are there. And uh, it was. I want to say it was Linda Stein, Tommy, Arturo Vega and maybe Joey all sitting at the table and Tommy looked uh, Tommy looked over at at Arturo and Arturo shrugged his shoulders and I said and and just so you know I'm not totally full of shit, Johnny started talking to me one day about about you and what you did for the band and um and i asked johnny i said you know i said everything i look at says that that you know i said to me the after road to ruin i mean uh, end of the century was so disappointing so unbelievably disappointing with
0: the players in the mix
1: yeah yeah it was just a disappointing record to me just because it wasn't the ramones yeah and um I said the next really great record you did after that was too tough to die. Too tough to die to me was a comeback record. I said Richie brought some anger to the band and 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 Dee Dee was fired up again and, and the, you guys just played like you did back in the day. I said, um, and he said, yeah. He said, yep. That's Tommy and Ed. Tommy and Ed. Ed especially on the um, on the uh, on the pop stuff. Yeah. All those pretty guitar licks, all those nice harmonies, that's all Ed Stasium. That's all Ed. In fact, I really would love to do a record with Ed before before I pack it in myself. But um
0: That's but, not gonna be any time soon, is it? No no no. Good, no good. no no. I got
1: some time to go. <laughs> but that's but that's really um that's one of the things that I hope um really comes to light and people come to understand and, and know it. Like all the Ramones fans. I make it a point to, to tell that story in Every interview I do, because I really want the fans to understand that and know that—that's an important part of the Ramones' legacy. And uh, you know, and I—I re- I think that Tommy really got cheated out of, you know, he really got cheated out of uh, out of his part of it to a certain extent. I'm glad at the Hall of Fame he got to get up and 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 speak. And in fact, at the Hall of Fame, Tommy's the only one who mentions me. Is he? He's the only one who mentioned my name which I which I really appreciated knowing what I know about Tommy it meant a lot more for him to say something than for anybody else to say something even Johnny who I was you know I considered to be my friend and and my mentor but for Tommy to say it really wasn't an an acknowledgement that um that what what I did for the Ramones really counted
0: yeah man I love the song that you wrote for your debut solo album Three Angels Oh, yeah. A little tribute to, to yeah. those three um, A beautiful track
1: Yeah, hard to I, I always wanted to write that song But hard to put um, Such complicated Relationships into One verse and a song yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, it just turned It just became one of those songs where And I've, I had heard songwriters talk about it before Where they said There's some songs just kind of, that just kind of float into your head And they write themselves And I had never experienced that before um, I had dropped my 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 little girl off at school one morning and was driving home and all of a sudden the I had this tune in my head and I started getting the lyrics started coming to me and I pulled over I literally literally took a, a receipt a store receipt and a crayon from my daughter's tray in the back and wrote the lyrics out and they came out in total as a song in about a total of 10 minutes.
0: Yeah, and those moments of inspiration, yep, right? Pure exactly. inspiration. I,
1: and I, I started driving and I could hear it. I could hear the entire song in my head. And I went home and I picked up my acoustic guitar. I used um, voice memo on my phone and I recorded the entire thing. All, all in all, it was probably a 20 minute uh, uh, span of time that went by for me to actually write that song. And it was so unbelievably such a huge uh feeling of relief because I felt like I really captured um I really captured my relationship with each one of those guys in a couple of lines in a way that the fans would understand it relate to it and 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 um really feel how i felt about the band and that's not a a, a, as an artist as a songwriter that's not an easy thing to do it's really not you you always hope that people such a
0: simplistic song as well and such complex relationships and feelings
1: you always hope that people kind of get the message you know sometimes even bury the message a little bit if it's something that's really 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 personal and close to you you try to bury it a little bit just so people can make it their own, but still pick up on the emotion of it. But that song, I, I wanted so bad for it to be straight and to the point and for people to be able to understand what every word I said, everything I meant. And it was a huge accomplishment for me as a songwriter to to, to get to that point.
0: And you got, obviously, Dee Dee, Joey, Johnny there. And then in the new record, you paid tribute to Tommy. Tommy's Gone.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's that song is such... A lot like what happened with, um, with, uh, Three Angels, except that I was staying at, at my guitar player, um, Dan Root's house, Dan Root from the adolescence. Um, we, we recorded out in California. I was staying at Dan's house. I was staying in a room where he kept all his guitars and he had a dobro in there and I had never played a dobro before. And I just picked it up and I, I started picking out this little tune and, and all of a sudden I, 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 uh. I was like, oh this is this is kinda cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to maybe do something with this. But we were in, you know, we were in the studio, we were kinda at a tight schedule and we were recording and, and every night I was going back and I picked up the Dobro and and then all of a sudden I was like I'm gonna write a song about I'm gonna make this song about Tommy. Dobro is common instrument used in country bluegrass. Yeah. That's what Tommy was doing when he died. Um nice. And I and I and it, it it just like took me probably a half a day to come up with the lyrics. The stuff with Tommy was a little bit. I, I was I I chose to be a little more gentle with the lyrics because I didn't want I didn't want it to sound like, you know, I was bitter a bit with the Ramones for the way Tommy was treated or anything like that. So I I I kind of made it so that. Almost like, you know, I'm writing down, I'm wondering about it. That's and that's really what I did. Like I wonder how Tommy felt about um about pretty much being forced out of the band. You know what I mean? Like really being kind of almost bullied out of the band. Um and then watching the Ramones become the legendary band that they that they became that they became in. Like was he mad about it was he pissed off like they stole all my ideas they what i created they took and ran away with or was he like a a proud dad like everything i I taught my sons they grew up and used so it was i i just worded it a lot more gently and um when i when i finally listened back to it and the weird thing is the way we recorded it was I almost didn't have the balls to go in and do it. And then on the last day in the studio, I said to the engineer, I said, you know what, just leave one mic set up for me. I want—I just want to try out an idea. And he was like, all right. So I sat down, I picked out the dobro part, and then um, I sang over it. And and he was like, that's, he's like, you, you got to put that on the record. And I was like, I don't know, it's like really personal. Like I you know, Three Angels was kinda like me celebrating the guys. I was like, this is like a whole different thing. And uh and Pete Sosa, who played drums on the record from the Street Dogs, um, he he was in the studio and he was like, You gotta put it on. He was like, You gotta. He's like, That's too good not to put on. And then I realized I had made a mistake on my first record of not putting the title track on the record,
0: <laughs> and I
1: eventually put it up on on YouTube, and I got a lot of grief from fans who were like, "That's such a great song! Why did you not put it on the record?" And and I just I was worried about how it was stylistically, and I had all these intellectual problems with putting it on a record, and I made a decision like, if I write a good song, I don't care how it fits stylistically, I'm gonna put it on a record, and that's where I got to with that song, and I realized. I gotta put it on, I have to put it on. And it ended up being one of my favorite songs on the record. I mean, it's really, it took me into completely different territory as a, as a songwriter. It, it helped me to kind of accomplish my mission of letting everybody know what Tommy's real um, contribution to the band was. Uh, it, it did a lot of things, all in one song. And I'm not at at this point now. I'm so glad I, I decided to do it How did it feel to watch them go? And take away everything that you to watch from so far away